Thank you for listening to the Trinity Baptist Church podcast from Asheville, North Carolina. For more information on Trinity Baptist Church, please visit tbcashville.org. Or to learn more about our senior pastor, Dr. Ralph Sexton, please visit ralphsextonministries.com. The speaker for today is Pastor Nathan Hawkins. Amen. Take your Bibles, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Oh, this is so good. This is so good. Um, so, um, I was going to use this iPad for my message. Yeah, you better fix this because this is literally of the devil. Let, let me. They put the score to the Carolina and Duke game. They on my did. iPad. Like, I, my spirit has already been quenched and I haven't even read a verse yet. They didn't, by the way. Tangled webs we weave. I just, well, never mind. I'm just, just not going to go there. You got me? I got you, buddy. So those of you who don't know, I'm a very passionate Tar Heel fan. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, so last night was a difficult night. Listen, I've coached high school basketball for 10 years. And there's one thing we did at the end of every practice. Every practice, it never failed. We'd run our, we, well, some people call them suicide, but we called them power drills because we wanted to be positive about our conditioning. And at the end of running them, we would shoot these things called free throws. And if Carolina could hit some of those, we would have won. But that's not really spiritual at all, but it just makes me feel better to talk about it. So thank you for listening. And in fact, since um, I, I feel like I'm a coach a little bit tonight in the fact of I feel like we're in this game. It's close. It's intense. It's tight. And we just made it to halftime. And for the next little bit, I want to give you a halftime speech. Um, as a coach, if everything was going good, you did not want to see halftime come. But if everything was going bad, you were praying that halftime would get there quickly so you could refocus your team. So I just want to take a moment and have a halftime with parents, grandparents. I know there's some young adults in here. Students, some teenagers. Um, you say, why didn't you bring the teenagers over here with you? Well, I just want to talk to the church. Teenagers hear me preach a lot, but I've preached this to them before. But I want to address the church um, because I feel like this is a topic we all need to be aware of. So let's just, we're all gathered in the locker room. This is halftime, and we're just going to talk about a problem that we have. This morning, Pastor Winston preached the message, Ye shall have help. And he talked about at the beginning of that message that the men and the women of Jabesh Gilead was encamped around by the enemy. I don't know if you remember one of his first points, but one of his first points was the oblivious complacency. For you to be surrounded by the enemy, at some point you've had to stop looking. And I believe that the topic I'm going to talk about tonight... It's one of those enemies that surrounded us 
with our obvious complacency, really without us knowing, and it's changing our world. Like it really has changed our world, and it's changing the way we view Christianity, and I believe everything. And we're just now getting a generation that's growing up with social media, and that's what we want to talk about. You know, a message I remember sitting in a Bible class um, my junior year, and one of my professors that taught the book of John, he was a pastor for 25 years and then was a professor, professor in college for a while, and he said this, he said, anytime you preach, your preaching should encourage, equip, and convict. Every time. He said, if you're not doing one of those three things, then you probably need to go back and just start from scratch. So that's what I want to do tonight. I want to encourage you. I want to equip you. But I also, with the help of the Holy Spirit, want you to feel convicted about some things when it comes to handling social media. As parents and as parents of teenagers that have social media accounts, you know, we have to be aware, we have to be accountable. And I want to help you. I really do. That's my heart. So let me read you a verse, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and verse 13, and it says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Verse 14 says this, For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good and whether it be evil. I want to preach on this topic tonight, the culture of social media. The culture of social media. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much for your love, your grace, your mercy. God, I thank you for these people that are here. God, literally there are children and teenagers and adults all over this campus. God, serving you. They made the decision to be here on a Sunday night. And God, I pray you'd help us now. Look at this thing that has taken over our world, social media, and learn as a Christian how we should use it through the biblical eyes of biblical perspective. God, may we use it as a tool for the gospel and not allow the enemy to use it as a weapon in the lives of his people. God, we love you. Would you use me, empty me of self, in Jesus' name, amen. In 1997, our world changed forever. Because in 1997, the first ever social media site was launched. The name of this social media site, social media program platform, was called Six Degrees. Never heard of it before personally, but maybe you have. Didn't last long. But this was the first ever program where someone could create their own personal account, put their information on there, and invite friends. And that was the launch of social media. And obviously... From that point on, we now have seen the evolution of many different programs and platforms. In 2004, probably one of the most well-known, probably the majority of us sitting in this room has Facebook. That was launched in 2004. Twitter, 2006. And then what is known as the social media revolution was this past decade, 2010 to 2019. And it's when the revolution of social media happened in our world. It's known for that. Because in that decade, Instagram, Snapchat, and TikTok, the teenagers laugh at me when I say that word, but I didn't create that name. That's a a platform called TikTok. Was all launched in that decade. Let's just, how many's never heard of TikTok before? Yeah, see, God bless you. You, You're being, that's good. But it was launched in 2017. 
And in fact, it's one of the largest platforms now for teenagers to post videos and other things with music and all that good stuff. We're all launched in this past decade. So we're literally coming out, 2020, we're coming out of the social media revolution. So as Christians trying to live in this world, we probably should be aware of what it's doing to our children's, our family, our culture. Even, and this kind of blows my mind to even think back to this, but even in 2013, the Oxford Dictionary picked for its word of the year, selfie. Isn't that crazy? The Oxford Dictionary picked the word selfie for its word of the year in 2013, which is from the social media revolution, right? Oh, i got to take a selfie and post it on Instagram and Facebook because everybody knows if I don't take a selfie and prove that I was not there or did that or experienced that, then it really never happened. I'm just kidding. But that's kind of how we act. we got to post and snap and send videos of everything. At the beginning of the decade, listen to this, at the beginning of 2010, less than a billion people had social media. But at the end of this decade, 2019, the numbers will have approached 3 billion people in our world that have a social media account. It has literally changed our world. Not only approaching 3 billion people, which is I believe I saw 45% of the whole world population. Hard to believe. Think about, just think of the countries that even would have the ability to have social media. Okay, so that eliminates a lot of the uh, populace. And then out of that group, I mean, that is a lot of people. The majority. But not only that, two hours and 23 minutes a day on average, an average person, two hours and 23 minutes a day. This is average. This has been studied by a lot of different people. John Hopkins did a study. I don't know why John Hopkins did a study on social media, but actually they did it because they were determining how social media affects people's health. I know, crazy, but that's the world we're in. Two hours and 23 minutes a day, average. It has literally changed the world and the culture that our teens and children will grow up in. I just mentioned it, but do you realize we still, we're just now getting to the generation that will have grown up with social media? I'm 31 years old. I did not have social media. I mean, the only thing that I remember having was instant messenger on AOL. You could do a username and chat back and forth, but that was it. So just now we're getting to have 20, 21, 22, 23-year-olds that are growing up into adulthood that grew up with social media. I'm telling you, we haven't seen the effect of it yet. Now we all know this, just like anything in our world, there are advantages and there are disadvantages. The advantage is we can communicate with a large group of people at once. As a youth pastor, I, it is an advantage for me to have a social media account because I can get word out to a large group of people about events very easily. So there's advantages. We can keep up with friends all over the world. I made friends in college literally from all over the world. I have a friend that lives in Italy. I have a friend that lives in Haiti. I have a friend that lives in New York. I mean, I know New York's almost like a foreign country, but it's not. But California. And so you can keep up with people. It's great. And then, of course, this church knows that one of the greatest advantages of having social media is getting the gospel all around the world. You know what I think about a lot? I think about when Poppy 
would stand over there in the old sanctuary thinking about television programs? Would he have ever thought that you would literally be able to put a video on Facebook and it preach all around the world for free? <laughs> Think about it. How much do we pay to Facebook? Not Nothing. I mean, think about that. He would have never... You could not wrap your mind around this 20 years ago, the social media revolution and all the advantages that it gives us. But with that, the culture of social media is ultimately damaging our children, teens, families, and societies in different ways. It's changing the way we view people we disagree with. It's changing the way we interact with family and friends. It's changing the way we value our time. And it's changing our entire mindset of living. And I believe that not all of it is for the good. So what I would like to do, just for the next few minutes, in this halftime talk, but is to give you six lies that the social media culture tells us. And you say, maybe you're not into the social media, maybe you don't have a social media account, but you have children and you have grandchildren, and I promise you they do. I preached this at a private school chapel two weeks ago, and I had, there was, I don't know, a little bit over 100 teenagers maybe, and I had them raise their hand. And to the best of my ability, I counted them, I had them hold their hands up, only two did not have social media accounts, and they were seventh graders, right? So, I mean, it is obviously something that we deal with, that I will deal with as a parent with my children. So let's look at six lies of the social media culture and take God's word and see how we can fight against it. So number one, lie number one, the more information, the more I'm connected. We have just seen over the past two weeks how the mass amount of information can cause us to become consumed with a story or an event just like that in an instant because we're all on social media. Two Monday mornings ago, I have social media, so it's two Monday mornings ago, our society woke up consumed with the death of a basketball player. Consumed. Kobe Bryant. And everyone, no matter their race, social background, financial status, everyone was wrestling with their mortality. Everyone. From the highest ranked people in the media to the average person at home, when someone in the public eye passes away suddenly, and of course it was tragic. I mean, it makes my heart break thinking of it, having my own kids and what possibly all of those last minutes were for the people on that helicopter. And so for that week, our world was consumed with contemplating life. But yet, just seven days later, just seven days, a week, our society woke up, no longer contemplating life, but to the reactions of the vulgar, vile, filthy, demonic, tasteless halftime show presented at the Super Bowl. You may say the adjectives one more time. Vulgar, vile, filthy, demonic, tasteless. 
halftime show. And they were consumed. I mean, if you had a social media account and you would go on it, people were consumed with sharing, posting, commenting on those topics. And so just recently we have seen how so much information can consume our lives. One moment, our world and our society is contemplating the meaning of life, and the next, we're sacrificing our children at the altar of Baal. What sickens me the worst, just from what I've read, is that there were children in the halftime show. God help us. So one moment, we're wondering about our mortality. The next moment, we're enjoying pleasures of sin. This is our society. We are more connected than ever before and have access to more information at an instant than any other generation. You can, any question that you possibly might have, you can literally, in one click, bring up Google and ask it. And you can know. You can have the information at your fingertips. And in fact, doing research for this message, that's exactly what I did. I pulled up Google and I typed in, what is the average daily time spent on social media? And in 0.2 seconds, I had it. You can know anything just now, but yet we're growing up with this information overload, but yet the generation and the society that we're living in is the most intellectually ignorant and the most disconnected. Think about that. It should be the opposite, right? We have all this information. We have all this access, but yet we're becoming ignorant in our minds because we don't even know common sense and reasoning. And this is, if you have children, if you have grandchildren, this is what, this is their reality. I know they go to maybe to possibly public school, private school. I know they enter into a school building, but I promise you it is more of their reality on social media than what they're facing in school. I promise you, if they have an, an account. I talk about it all the time when I preach to the young people in youth group. I talk about Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, TikTok all the time. And I tell them, I said, the reason I talk about these things is because this is the world that you're living in. Listen, if you were living in Mars, then I would talk about Mars. But you're living in the social media boom. So I'm going to talk about it. Like Brother Kenny Baldwin says, he says, I'm not here to get up in your business. I'm here to get all up in your business. Hey, I want people to care enough about my children to get all up in their business and hold them accountable when they're teenagers. I love them like my own. And that's what we're here for. We're here to equip and help each other, hold each other accountable. So this lie is the more information, the more I'm connected. But sometimes the healthiest thing we all can do in our lives is to take a deep inventory of what really matters. Right? So what really matters? Well, according to the Word of God... Ecclesiastes 12, 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. If you know who wrote Ecclesiastes, you know it was King Solomon. It's probably one of my favorite books, just for the fact of perspective that Solomon wrote this with. But Solomon is saying, I have tried everything. Wisest man ever to live. Enjoyed all the pleasures of this earth could possibly offer. And he comes to the end of his life and he says, 
can I sum up my life for you? Just for a moment, can you please entertain me and let me sum up my life for you? The whole thing, the only thing that matters in life is if you fear God and if you keep His commandments. One of the greatest things we can do as Christians is declutter all the peripheral things in life and eliminate them and focus on what really, really matters. It's what you talked about. Family, our worship, our church, our prayer time, things that really matter. Here's one of my favorite verses, Micah 6, 8. It says, He has showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee. Previously in this chapter, when you go home you can look at it, but previously in this chapter, the author is like, God, what do you want from me? Do you want my first fruits? Do you want my children? Like, what do you want me to offer you? And he comes to this verse and he says, He has showed thee what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. If you use those three things as the checklist of your life when you got up every single day, you would probably live a very God-honoring life. To do justly, number one. What does that mean? Just do right. Nike has made millions on the slogan, just do it. So let's just do right. To do justly, to love mercy, that's a two-way street. I love mercy. I want you to show me mercy. I want God to show me mercy. He has showed me mercy, but it's a two-way street. If I love what the mercy God has given me, then I'm going to turn around and I'm going to show mercy to somebody else that does not deserve it, because that's what mercy is. Unmerited favor. So I'm going to show it's a two-way street. This is what we're talking about. Simplifying life. Then what's the last one? And to walk humbly with thy God. We have all this information. We have all this access. But yet we're the most disconnected from what really matters. And we've all seen it. Go to the restaurants and sit down. And you see a family of four. And what do they have all in common? They all have their phones. And they think they're connected. But really, they're disconnected from what really matters. And God, through His Word, is reminding us as Christians what really matters. It's not what I'm viewing. It's not what's on the screen in front of me. What does God want for my life? To do right. To love mercy. And to walk humbly with my God. Let's look at the next lie of the social media culture. Number one... It is that the more information, the more I'm connected. Lie number two, my thoughts are important because I have a platform to express them. Listen, one of the benefits, we talked about the benefits, but one of the benefits of social media is that anyone can have an account. But one of the dangers of social media is the fact that anyone can have an account. The lie is, because I have a platform, because I can type something up, I can post a picture, because I can do this, because I have a platform that is accessible to me, then my thoughts are important. Remember just a few Sundays ago, I preached a message and I used Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are just, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, please think on these things. 
Well, the same thing comes to when we interact on social media. When I go to post something or I go to text something, I should run it through the filter of God's Word. I should take it and I should use God's Word as a filter. And obviously that's one. And one of the most dangerous things in social media, one of the most dangerous things on your Facebook account or on your Instagram account is this little box. And in this little box on your Instagram and Facebook, it says comment. Oh, it's so dangerous. And the temptation when you read a post or you see a picture or you see this article, you see this story, it's, oh, I just got to say this because I have a platform and this thought is in my head. But just because you have the thought does not mean you should comment. You have no idea what the whole story is. You don't know the circumstance. All you see is a little snapshot in time And you're like, well, I can help them by making this comment. Okay, maybe that's true, but let's run it through God's Word first. Is it going to be helpful? Look at at what God's Word says about our thoughts. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, he says, Casting down imagination in every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity. Where's Miss Becky at? Right there. Miss Becky, you just sung the song. And you had a line in that song that said, when, you ha- when your mind becomes your prison or something to that effect, right? Listen to what the Bible says. It says, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Isn't it interesting that God's Word uses the term captivity? Here's the truth. If you do not bring your thoughts into captivity, then your thoughts will bring you into captivity and you will become a prisoner to your mind. He says, cast down imaginations. If you really take the word imaginations, it means reasonings and arguments. If you go on social media, what do you see? Arguments and reasonings. Right? So if I'm going to have a social media account, that's fine. This is the world we live in. I'll be honest with you. Probably I will always have a social media account. But with that, as a Christian, can we put the verse back on the screen? To the best of my ability, every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. What's what's every high thing? Anything that causes pride. That's pride. What was Satan's problem? He exalted himself above God. What, what's our problem? We like to exalt ourselves above God, every high thing against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to obedience of Christ. Here, here's the lesson. The more freedom you give your thoughts, no, oh, the more freedom, the more territory you allow your thoughts to have in your mind, the less freedom God has to rule and reign in your heart. My goodness. I know, that, I, just, I know that's just a thing I wrote down, but that will preach for a little bit. The more freedom you give to the thoughts in your mind. Hey, I know I shouldn't thought, think that, so I'm going to cast that down in Jesus' name. But if you allow it to linger, and you allow it to take hold and become a stronghold in your mind, then the less freedom Jesus Christ is going to have to rule and reign in your heart. And just because I have a platform to express my thoughts does not mean that I should. Number one, the more information, the more I'm connected. 
Number two, my thoughts are important because I have a platform to express them. Number three, we're doing good, we're doing good. Six o'clock. I can have the illusion of friends without any personal investment. I actually looked at this before I came just to see, but do you realize that I have 958 Facebook friends? Wow, I'm a popular guy. Can I be honest with you? I don't really know most of those friends. I just feel bad not like, accepting people because I'm just a nice person, and so like I don't even know. Listen, this social media has caused us to lose our realness and to lose our authenticity. Because it's all about, my life is all about what I post, but it's not about who I am. We can be connected to so many people, but it's only on the surface. Brother Jerry, we talked about this this week. We're losing the gift that God has given us of personal interaction and personal friendship. We're losing the gift and we're reducing knowing people through a screen. That's how we know people. I only know them by what they post on their social media account. This culture is producing a lot of followers, but not many disciples. Right? That's how you... They have this thing, if you're not familiar with Twitter, but they have this thing on Twitter, and I think Facebook even does it. I don't know about Instagram, but most of them will do this. If you get enough followers, then you get this little check mark beside your name. And somebody tell me what the check mark means? It means you're verified. Mm. Man, that's good. So if you, get, if you get really popular on social media, you get a check mark by your name. Because here's what people do. And we've had this even happen with pastor's account, right? People will make fake accounts. Uh, they'll make fake accounts to rip off people saying they're somebody else. Then it's not true. So Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, they'll verify people if they're really popular and they have a lot of followers. Followers. I believe with all my heart that one day... When I stand before Jesus Christ, He will not look at me and ask me how many followers I had. I just don't think He will. But you know what He will ask me? How many disciples did you make? And I'm afraid that our culture and our society have become professional gaining of followers. But even as Christians, we've lost how to make disciples. You know, you know why it's making disciples... It's not that popular. Because it's hard. It takes time and investment and work to pour into somebody and to disciple them in the Word of God and disciple them in the love of God. I've told this story before, but I'll never forget when we were leaving our ministry in Alabama and I've spent five years in that ministry and I poured time and my heart and my sweat and my tears into teenagers and into coaching and into teaching at the private school. And I'll never forget, we had this one young man come 
He was 16 when he first came to the youth group, and he only came to the youth group because he thought a girl was pretty that was in the youth group. And he was a big six foot four wrestler at the public school. He could care less about God. He just saw a pretty girl he worked with at McDonald's, and he wanted to come to youth group. And two weeks later, he gets saved, and his life was radically changed. And he came from such a messed up family. His dad was in prison. His mom was trying to do the best she could to raise him. And I'll never forget this for as long as I live. We're leaving. It's our last night. We're literally getting the U-Haul truck and getting in our car the next day to come up here to Asheville, North Carolina. And the big six foot four, six foot four, 250 pound wrestler comes up and he bear hugs me as hard as he could. And he picks me up off the ground and he whispers in my ear and he makes this statement. Thank you. He didn't say thank you for the cool youth activities. He didn't say thank you for being the cool youth pastor. He just said thank you for loving me. And if we're going to make disciples and we're going to have true friendships and be true friends, it's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take a lot of investments. Hey, you know what? I, you know how I know God will grow this church for the next 10 years if we start making disciples. In fact, it's the most biblical thing to do, how to grow a church. We start investing in people. And then we've, you take a disciple, you take a, you take a person, you take a person, you take a person, you take a person, and you invest in them. And they become, your, they become a disciple. And then they take somebody else, and they invest in a person, and in another person, and then it grows. It's multiplication. Well, I, let's look at the, Bible, the verses really quick. Proverbs 18, 24. Such a basic principle, but isn't it true? A man that hath friends must show himself friendly, and there's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And look at Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Some of the greatest people, some of the closest people in my life are the ones that I went through adversity with, are the ones that I went through some dark times with, and they helped me, and I helped them, and... we have this idea that we have friends based upon if I like this person's post or I comment here or I share that or do this. And it's such a surface type of relationship. But the Bible teaches a true friend's going to walk through you with adversity through the darkest times of your life. Number four. I think I'm on number four. Correct? Yes, good. I hope this is a help. Number four. Line number four of the social media culture is capturing the moment is more important than living in the moment. I made a joke earlier that unless you take a picture and you post it on Facebook or Instagram, then it really never happened. Now that's being a little sarcastic, but that's how some people live. I'm convinced of it. And I'm glad, listen, I'm glad. I'm glad. You had a steak and a baked potato for lunch. But it doesn't change my life that you post about it. It just doesn't. And, and let's just... Everyone knows... Everyone knows that sometimes our mode, people's motives, your motive, my motive, behind post, posting something is not always the best. The world will keep revolving on its axis if you do not post 
about your new purchase. The world will keep revolving on its excess if you do not, purchase, if you do not post about your new experience. It just will. Like the world will keep revolving. But for some reason, this culture has convinced us that anything I do, anything I say, anything I get to experience, anything I buy, I got to post about it. I got to let the world know about it. And without, without you really even, know, even realizing it, what the devil is really allowing you to do when you do that is he's allowing you to give up some innocence and give up some privacy. I mean, it's just true. You, we, we don't need to know all of the things about your life. And that's not, that's not a good way to use it. The enemy can take some of those blessings, right? The enemy can take some of those blessings and use it as um, a weapon against other people. We've got to be careful. James 4.14 says this, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? What a question. It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then will vanish away. Hey, if life is truly a vapor, no matter if you live to your 80 or to 100, life is still a vapor. It's here for a moment and then it will be gone away. I don't think it's that important. To capture all the moments. Let's just live in the moment. Do not, do not sacrifice the people right in front of you that adore you. Listen. God gave me this just like literally two minutes before I walked up here. Do not sacrifice the people right in front of you that adore you to impress the people that really don't care about you. Listen, those kids, that teenager, they're only there for a little bit. They're your gift from God. Amen. Don't be so consumed with impressing people that really, they're not your, I mean, they might be acquaintances, but you want to spend the rest of your life impressing them? God help us. Capturing the moment is more important than living in the moment. Lie number five. Got two more left. My value, and this is as a youth pastor... This is one of the biggest things I deal with, especially with young ladies, but even young men. My value is determined by my followers and my likes. Now, some of you are sitting there, and when I make that statement, you think it's the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard. But I promise you there's 14, 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds sitting in that other building, and this is their life. My value is determined by my followers and my likes. That's where I gain my value. That's where I gain my acceptance. We're raising a generation that's defining success. Imagine if you had told somebody this 20 years ago, but listen to the statement. We are raising a generation that is defining success by someone touching a thumbs up or touching a heart symbol on a screen or clicking play on a video. And that's the, that generation, that's how they determine success. How many people, I just posted a picture of myself. How many people liked it? Did that boy that I really liked at school like it? Because, I mean, if they liked it, then that, maybe I need to do my hair a little different. Or, you think, I know that sounds crazy, but I promise you, that's the world 
people are living in that's dealing with social media. And their value is fined by my followers and my likes. Listen, we're watching people sacrifice their innocence and their privacy all in the name of more followers and more shares. Why are you allowing your teenager to post that video? Do you not know? Why are you posting or resharing that video? Just so they'll get more likes or get more follows? Hey, you ever have a problem with your value as a Christian, as a born-again believer? We all struggle with this on some area. It may not be in social media, but in some area in life, we all try to find our value in somewhere else other than where the Bible tells us to find our value. A lot of times men will try to find it in their job. And I'm going to pour my whole life into my job, and that's where I find my value is how well I do at this job. And we try to find our value in a lot of different things. The house I live in, the cars I drive, Winston touched on it earlier this morning. But when the enemy comes and tries to get you to question your value as a child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, here's what you need to do. Let me read the verse and then we'll demonstrate this. It says, this is where I find my value. Uh, Every believer, every Christian, this is where we find our value. Romans chapter 5 verse 8. But God commendeth, but God demonstrated... His love toward us in that while we did all the things perfect, in in all that we were the perfect little Christians and we dotted our I's and crossed our T's and we deserved it. It says, but God demonstrated His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, what did He do? So anytime the enemy comes in your life as a wife or a husband or a young adult or a teenager and he causes you to question your value as a child of God, please, with as much urgency as you possibly can muster up, run to the cross. And that's where you'll find your value. I mean, just run to the cross because I promise you, the more you get, as close as you can get to the cross of Christ... As close as you can get to the cross of Christ, the more valuable you're going to feel. Because when I look at the cross, I see nothing that I deserved. But yet God, what do we say? We say, Jesus Christ redeemed me. You know what it means to be redeemed? It means that He put a value on you that nobody can take away. You have no idea the mistakes I've made in my past. He put a value on you that nobody can take away. Hey, when the stinky, rotten devil comes knocking on your door and trying to get you to compromise your value and try to find it in some other junk of this world... Get out of there. What does it say? Flee from Satan. Get out of there and run to the cross. And I promise you, you'll find your value. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. Hey, these are lies. You say, where did these lies come from? Satan. You say, you think Satan uses social media? No, I do not think. I know he does. Because my Bible tells me that he's the father of lies. So he will take anything and he'll use it to twist. I don't know if we could ever find out, but I believe 
I can't say this with 100% confidence, but here's, here's what I believe. Being a youth pastor, working with young people, seeing how social media works and affects people. If God allows me to minister for the next 10 to 15 years in a church as a pastor, I believe one of the strongest and most dangerous platforms when it comes to destroying marriages will be social media. I can't predict it. I can't tell you 100% certainty. But just seeing how it affects teenagers and what we're going to face in the next 10, 15 years, I believe that's what I'll be dealing with. And it would be ignorant and foolish of me not to warn the church about one of the enemy's tactics. Number five, number five, line number five, is my values determined by my followers and my likes. And then my last one, or the last lie, sorry. I will never be happy until I have, I buy, I go, I experience. I've even... I'm just going to be totally transparent. I've noticed in my own life, sometimes I'll be scrolling. And you'll almost feel this sense of dissatisfaction because you see people doing this, doing that, having this, having that. And you'll be like, man, I wish I could do that. Man, I wish I could drive that. I wish I had that. And the enemy will cause this discontentment to come over your life. And this culture of social media, one of the lies is, you're never really going to be happy until you have what they have. Until you experience what they experience. And the culture's created a cycle of never being satisfied because of coveting someone else's social media post. You say, how in the world can you covet a post? Well, I promise you, when Abraham was writing the Ten Commandments on stone, he never thought that coveting would be considered a social media post, but that's what's happened our society's coveting what they see on their screens. Oh, i got to have that. I want to do that. I'm so unhappy. It creates a spirit of discontentment. And here's what the Bible says. Look at that first verse. Do you think that they knew what social media was going to be like? Look at the first verse. It says, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth. That's a pretty good description of social media sometimes. Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, that gain is godliness. From such, delete and defriend, or whatever the correct word is. But godliness with contentment is great gain. In this world of, I want the nicer this or the bigger that, or I gotta, ha- I gotta go there and experience this, just be content. Be content. Take all the things that the enemy uses to cause you not to be satisfied in your life. Okay? Take them all. What's some things that you wish about your life was different? Okay? So take those things and allow the Holy Spirit. To use those to grow you. Be content with how you look. God never made a mistake. 
Be content with what you have and God will bless. Be content with your talents and God will use them. Be content with your circumstance and God will grow you. And be content with your location and I promise God will move you when the time is right. Just be content. Hey, that job that you don't understand why you're there, just be content. Hey, the person that you have in your life that you don't understand why you're having to deal with them, hey, just be content. Hey, you don't understand why God hasn't exalted you to a higher position because you feel like your talents and your abilities could be doing more? Just be content. And in God's timing, here's what he says in 1 Peter. He says, and God will exalt you in due time. Just be content. You know what's one of the greatest testimonies of a Christian in this day and age in the social media culture? Is to find someone that's content. To find someone who's not looking for the next best this or the next best that. But they're just satisfied in being a child of God and being content in their life and trusting God with their tomorrows and trusting God for their yesterday and trusting God for 10 years down the road. If not, you'll drive yourself crazy. Just be content. Hey, I pray that you're encouraged. I pray that you're equipped. And I pray maybe you're convicted to change some things. You say... So how do we deal with the social media culture? How do I change my mindset? Here's just some practical things really quick. Ready? Take a break. I have to do it. Just take a break. You say, it's really not that big a deal to me. Like, I can have social media account. It doesn't really affect my life. Okay. Maybe so. But then if you have a teenager or you have a young person in your home that has a social media account, As a parent, you know what you could do? You could just have them take a break. Okay? Here's a good test to see how much social media consumes their life. Bring your teenager into the living room tonight or tomorrow and sit them down on the couch and ask them to take a two-week break from social media. And if there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, (laughs) then they probably really need it. Here's my final thought. Sometimes it's just really healthy just to disconnect so you can reconnect. That's what I started this out with. Disconnect from all these things that we think. I have to have my social media account. I got I to gotta keep up with people and all that. Two weeks. Maybe delete it off your phone. Maybe just get rid of your account. Maybe go home and block some friends. Maybe start using it in a different way. Listen, about two years ago, God convicted me of how I was using social media. And if you follow me on anything, Facebook, Instagram, I, I don't post a lot. I'll post here and there. I'll post pictures of my family or, you know, things going on in ministry. But I'm so careful. And I'm not saying I'm perfect. And I'm saying I always do it right. But I know That it's one of the ways the enemy can have rule and reign in my life. And I want to be a clean vessel that God can use. And I promise you in this day and age, you want to ruin your life as a pastor or a preacher. Just be ignorant on how you use social media. May God help us. All right, listen. Third quarter is about to start. And we got to get out there and play. But we got to do better. I love you, and I hope it's a help. I really do. 
And if you have grandchildren or children and you know they have social media account, be accountable. Hold them accountable in their lives. I'm telling you, they, will, they may not like it, but they will thank you later in life. Let's pray. Dear God, Lord, I thank you so much for your love for us. God, I thank you for the word of God. That even in a culture that has lost its mind, we can find truth. If I just got up here and gave my opinions for the last 45, 50 minutes, it would have been a waste of time. But Lord, through the help of your Holy Spirit, I tried to seek your word and your will. And God, I pray you would help us, God, as leaders in this church, to see the pitfalls and downfalls. Lord, I pray you'd help me, God, as a husband, as a father, as a youth pastor, God, to use social media how I need to. And God, use it as a tool. Lord, I pray for the mom, for the dad, God, for the young adult, for the grandfather, for the grandmother. God, they want to help their children. They want to help their teen. God, give them the courage. God, give them the tools. God, give them the vision. Lord, I pray you would help us all to reject the lies of Satan. God, when he causes us to compromise our value, God, may we run to the cross and see you. God, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being with us today. I pray that today God spoke to your heart. You know, it's one thing to hear Ralph talk. It's one thing to hear a choir sing. It's one thing to hear a group bring a special song presentation. But it's altogether different when you're sitting there in that hotel room, in your house, maybe listening on your phone while you're at work, and God speaks to your heart. That's not me. That's not a Baptist, a Methodist, or a Presbyterian church. That's God. That's personal. That's you. And the Bible teaches quite clearly that when God touches your heart, when He speaks to you, that you can call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This Bible teaches that all of us have to have Him. You say, well, Brother Ralph, your dad was a preacher. My dad being a preacher couldn't help me. Well, you say your mama taught Sunday school and she prayed. That couldn't help me. The Bible says that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says, not me, not the Baptist, the Bible says that there's none righteous, though not one. Today is the day of salvation. You can begin anew. It can start over. The past can be covered by the blood. You can get out of living in your rearview mirror, the guilt, the problems. God can forgive you and you can start over today. You say, Brother Ralph, how is that possible? Well, a simple prayer is that very beginning. God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me. And I promise you, God, from this day forward, I'll serve you with the rest of my life. You can begin again in Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to read your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you call us, you write to us. We'll send you a copy of the Word of God. And I want to encourage you to get into a local church, a church in your community, that you can have a fellowship of faith that will help you grow 
and teach you about the Word of God. Today's the day of salvation. This is the first day of the rest of your life. Let's serve the Lord together and let's meet each other in heaven. I'll be praying for you and I ask you to pray for me.